Hey guys, before we get started today, I want to tell you about a special offer we're running over at Fizzle. Fizzle is the community we built for entrepreneurs, freelancers, bloggers, podcasters, and online creators of all kinds. Inside Fizzle, you'll find over 35 courses taught by experts. You'll find our proven small business roadmap that guides you every step of the way. You'll get to join live weekly coaching calls with me and other members of the Fizzle team. Plus, you'll find our amazing community of people like you working to earn a living independently doing something they love. Fizzle membership is meant to be all the support you need to start and grow the online business of your dreams. Membership costs $39 a month, but right now you can get your first full month of Fizzle membership for just a dollar. Just head to fizzle.co slash pod to start your first month of Fizzle for just a buck. That's F-I-Z-Z-L-E dot C-O slash P-O-D. Hope to see you inside. Hey there, welcome to The Fizzle Show. I'm your host, Corbett Barr, and this is our podcast about earning a living independently, doing something you really love. Our guest today is Omar Zenum. Omar is the co-founder and CEO of Webinar Ninja. Founded in 2014, over a million people have attended a webinar on Webinar Ninja, and it was named as one of the fastest growing SaaS companies in 2018. Omar is also the host of the $100 MBA show podcast with over 90 million downloads and over 1300 episodes. The $100 MBA show is ranked as a top business podcast in over 30 countries. Omar, thank you so much for being here today. I feel like maybe those stats could be updated a little bit even since uh, I got them. It's impressive what you've built in both of those cases. So we're gonna talk about both of those, but thank you so much for being here today. Corbett, it's so awesome to speak to you today. Yeah, this is this is awesome. I, I um, we've known each other for quite a while. When um, when did we first meet? Twenty maybe twenty fourteen. Yeah, we met at NMX twenty fourteen. There was like a fizzle meetup there. Um, but I, I kind of been following your work since I think twenty twelve, since Think Traffic days before Fizzle, um, and it, it's such an honor to be on today's podcast uh, because I vividly remember in 2013 listening to the Fizzle Show when it first came out. Uh, I was struggling as an entrepreneur back then. I was walking the streets of New York, you know, getting to where I'm going, or you know, going to the gym in the freezing cold or whatever it was. Um, and uh, you know, that show really uh, gave me some motivation, gave me some uh, a little bit of comfort in in that kind of struggle. So I'm I'm really curious about uh, I know that way back when you actually were a teacher for a while yes, yes. right and yeah, thirteen years for thirteen years and yeah. and you don't hear often people making that kind of a leap that's that's a major leap from not only going from being a teacher to an entrepreneur where a lot of entrepreneurs are teachers and you've been a teacher yourself as an entrepreneur but then to make the leap from that to hosting a massive podcast and also um, Webinar Ninja, which is this huge uh, SaaS company, software as a service company. So I want to cover all of that. But when did you start to think about making that transition from being a teacher to an entrepreneur? And, and what was that like? And what was going through your mind? And what gave you the, the courage to actually make that leap? It's a great question. And it's funny because Nicole and I were, Nicole, my partner in business and life, uh, we're talking about this topic. Uh, <laughs> um, it's funny because when I started teaching, I always had in the back of my mind that this is what I'm going to do for now. Like I never felt like this is my calling, that this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I always just thought, hey, this is good for now. 
it's a job. I'm good at it. You know, um, it got, you know, the summer's off, that kind of thing. Um, around 2001, um, I started to think about, you know, starting a business cause eBay was starting to come out and it was like this, it wasn't even thinking about starting a business. It was just like, can you make money on this thing? It was like kind of like an experiment. I didn't really think of it as entrepreneurship or anything like that. Um, I didn't, I wasn't like around entrepreneurship growing up similar to you, you know? Um, but I have an uncle, um, my, my, my mother's brother, who was an entrepreneur, but he was never kind of around when we were growing up. You know, he lived in Germany and things like that. So, um, so he used to visit me uh, when I was in my early 20s. And every time he would visit me, he would give me a book to read. And he'd say, read this book. And we, next time I visit you, um, we'll talk about it. You know, and I was like, okay, cool, whatever. And the first book he gave me was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Right. And, you know, you know, it's not the best business book. It's poorly written, in my opinion, but it's it, it's it's lessons are profound for somebody who's never thought about business. You know, and and it's crazy how many people credit that book as being like the thing that made them think differently. So as cheesy as it is, or as cheesy as it sounds, and how simple the lessons are, they are really profound and they do stick with you. And I think and, it needs to be simple. Yeah. It's for yeah. you to make that connection. And it's really just the, 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 the essence of the book is really just uh, the difference between trading your time for money versus investing in assets that will pay you over time. Right. Yeah. There was like a line in the book that kind of really was like a, a mic drop moment for me, which is like, uh, you're not getting any younger. Every day goes by, you're getting older and older. Um, and you can't get that time back. And the only thing, you can make more money, you can make more friends, you can make more connections, you never can make more time. And that kind of theme it goes around the book and talks about like all the different kinds of people in the world, you know, investors and business people and, you know, employees. Um, and it just kind of planted a seed. And then the next book that my uncle gave me was uh, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And then the next book he gave me was uh, I, I think it was um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, the classics, right? Yeah. Um, but there was one book that really just kind of told me, let me give this a try. And this, there's a book, not popular book. It's not a book that's a New York Times bestseller. It's called Anyone Can Do It. Cheesy, cheesy title. But it's the story of um, a brother-sister uh, couple, not couple, sorry, but like a partnership in business uh, that... Um, started a coffee chain in the UK called Coffee Republic, which was huge before Starbucks came and took over. Um, and it just catalogs their journey of starting this cafe, this one single store cafe. And, you know, they share the scribbles of their logo on a napkin and all that kind of stuff. And it was just kind of like, they both came from different backgrounds. They never started a business before. And after I went through, I read that book in a flight, like just one sitting. And I was just like, maybe I can do this. Maybe this is not like rocket science. Maybe like, you know, I could try something. And the, the first kind of business endeavor I had that was like outside of selling my Halloween candy when I was a kid was, was I used to um, sell rare Air Jordans on eBay. So I would actually arbitrage. I would actually find a buyer. Which is a huge business these days, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were yeah. like super early in what's now become like a billion dollar industry. Yeah. And this is before they came out with the retros and stuff like that. So I was I was basically selling uh, you know Air Jordans sneakers to people that were interested in certain models that were popular or famous or uh, colorways that they're looking for, and it was it was we all remember that feeling of making a buck outside of your salary, and it's just like 
uh, this is weird. This is amazing. This is great. You know, feels super powerful. It's it's like to me one of the ultimate feelings of self empowerment you can have is when you go out there and directly sell something, find a customer, as opposed to having to get paid from some business, right? Especially somebody you never met before. Yeah, you know, somebody like that you have no connection to just a complete stranger just sees the value in what you're offering and is like hey take my money and it's like whoa that's that's pretty powerful it's so common we're we're on the other end of that equation all the time right we're we're buying things all the time but we never kind of experience that other side uh, that often in life so you sold some air jordans (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but this must have been pretty early on. And, uh, and then you were teaching for 13 years and, um, your uncle was subtly kind of transforming the way that you thought about earning a living over time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, what I, what I find interesting about the books that you read, and this is something that, you know, we've, um, thought about a lot on the fizzle show and, and just in general, in terms of the education that people get as entrepreneurs, you had read several of the classics, and those were obviously sinking in. You were, you were connecting with those. But the thing that gave you not only the education, but also the inspiration or the motivation to actually try something was more about hearing someone else's story because you could relate to it. And, and you probably could say to yourself, well, they're not that special. They're just kind of normal people who did this thing, and it mm-hmm. worked out for them. So why, why might it not work out for me? Yeah, I mean, so since the Air Jordan experiment, I, I started some other smaller businesses. One of the larger businesses I had when I was teaching, while I was still teaching, um, and mind you, I was, I was really good at my job as a teacher. Like I was getting promoted. I was the head of department for the high school I was teaching at and managing thirty teachers that were twice my age at the time. I, I was twenty five years old and I was doing very well for myself. So I, I had very little motivation to quit. Like mm-hmm. I, I had the opposite, like I'm doing great. Like, and you were living overseas, right? Yeah. yeah. I was working in Dubai. It was probably um, pretty exciting. Yeah, it was. And I was earning more than, can, than I can ever earn as a teacher anywhere else, you know? And then I would, I moved to the university level, um, and, uh, was the head of department there. And, you know, that came with more money and more opportunity and things like that. Um, but while I was in that uh, time in my life, I started my large one of my larger businesses. I had I had my own clothing line where I used to sell custom tailored t- clothing to men. Um, basically, was tailored and created in Dubai, and I would ship it to the states or the UK or um, Australia, different parts of the world. And it was very early days in the internet where people used to get custom clothing. Now it's like there's so many options now um, that do way better than I did. But basically, I would send a <laughs> A PDF uh, via email, which was a, uh, a printout of a of a measuring tape that they can cut out, and it's like basically a zigzag <laughs> measuring tape, and they and they would measure their like neck size and their chest size and their you know uh, and and their and their inseam and stuff like that for pants and all that kind of stuff and their arm length, uh, and they would send those measurements uh, via email in a form, and then from there uh, we would you know make the clothing, make the shirts. Um, it was high end. So like we didn't sell anything less than a hundred dollars. Uh, and then we'd ship it after a couple of weeks and that was the business. And it was, there was a lot of high demand because no one was doing that back then. And I really cater to people like me who I'm six, five, I have long arms, you know, I can't just go to Macy's and get a dress shirt. So, um, you know, it, it, it was, 
that business kind of grew fast and uh, and really snowballed quickly before I even had a chance to kind of figure out if I wanted to do this. Like I just saw an opportunity and I was like, this is cool. I put a website together. You know, I know how to create a WordPress website at the time and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and it, it, it grew pretty large and we had three warehouses and we were making sales and we we're going to conferences and things like that. And, but, um, it, it, I, that was a great experience to learn it's important for you to understand what kind of business you're getting into before you do. Yeah. And to understand like, do you want to be that kind of entrepreneur? Do you want to sell to these types of people? Like these customers, you, are, are you, you know, the, the thing I remember the most was that my customers were more passionate about the product than I was. Mm-hmm. And I would just felt a little bit like a fraud, you know, like maybe I shouldn't be holding this banner. I should be you know, giving this up. And that's what I eventually did. I, I let go of the business and gave it up. And, um, but it was, it was a good experiment to kind of figure out, Hey, you know, it's important to not only make a buck, but to understand what kind of value you can add to that system, that business. So your, your gears were always turning. And I, I, I wonder if this came from, um, the books that you read, or maybe it's just in your DNA. And a lot of us as entrepreneurs just have this, some people call it a disease where we're constantly looking for opportunities and thinking about, you know, how we could find some demand and, and create a business mm-hmm. and, and so on. So you were, you were kind of always doing this in the background when, when you finally decided to make the massive leap out of your career, where was your head at then? And what were you planning to build? What, what was your, your vision then? Well, when I decided to make the leap, something happened that made that decision. That was, I was um, the head of department at the university. I was actually acting chair. So I was doing somebody's job for them for a while, uh, for about a year and a half. And I was like, okay, at some point they're going to give me the position. So I'm going to get the promotion and I'll get all the things that come with it. I've been working all my career, 13 years to get to this point. And, you know, six months went by a year, year and a half. And I was like, this is strange. So then I had a, you know, just a frank one-on-one with my supervisor. And I said to her, hey, you know, what's going on? Am I going to get this position or what? And she was just like, you know, I can't, she couldn't lie to my face. She basically just said, you know, I know on good word that, you know, the, the director of the university wants to make an outside hire. And I was just crushed in that moment. I was just like, I'm busting my ass all day long doing so much for this university so much for this institution that i can never take with me right and i have no control over my fate i have no control over what happens because somebody wants to make an outside hire i was so angry right and i always like the line i always use that kind of encapsulates that feeling was that my frustration outgrew my fear like Mm. i just got so frustrated that i was like anything's better than this i was like i'm gonna just do something on my own and the only thing I could think of that at the time, because I, I left the, the clothing business and, you know, was, you know, a lot of people have been asking me, hey, how do you start a business? You start a couple of small businesses online. Well, how about websites? What's the website? How do you get a domain? All that kind of stuff. And I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to start, you know, a business consulting type of business where I'm just going to help people start their businesses, build their websites, um, and I'll be fine. Um, and, you know, I decided to move back to New York. Um, I got really frugal, you know, didn't have a car, didn't have anything. I just had an apartment and a computer and I just said, I'm going to go for it and figure it out. And, and I seem uh, to remember, that's how it happened. I seem to remember seeing you on video calls back then and you were spending a lot of time in coffee shops. Yes. Does that, does yes. that sound about right? Yeah. 
Yeah, um, it was just interesting because that tells you a lot about that full-time switch of when you move to a full-time entrepreneurship. It's like you have to go somewhere to have the discipline to work. Like um, you, you don't know how to manage yourself. You don't know how to manage your time, all that kind of stuff. And you, um, you and Nicole have been together for quite a while. You were, you were together then and, and you were, you were um, partners in this whole idea of becoming self-employed. Yeah, so Nicole actually resigned exactly the same time I did. We used to work together as in the same institution as educators. Um, and then the funny thing is that in education, you have to give a lot of notice. And in our case, it was six months notice because you can't just leave in the middle of the semester. Right. And um, she she was basically like, um, you know, ostracized from the rest of the teaching, teachers. Uh, same with me because it's like, hey, you're leaving and you're not only leaving the institution, you're leaving the profession. And it's kind of like, whatever, dude. So, so we got to kind of know each other a little bit. We got to have lunches together. What are you going to do after this? And, you know, and I told her that I'm going to, you know, be a full-time entrepreneur and what's that, that kind of thing. Um, and then she wanted to do something completely creative. She wanted to get into film and she said, I'm going to go into, I'm going to go to go to New York Film Academy. I was like, wow, I, I, I'm going to go back to New York and New York Film Academy is, you know, is, is in Union Square is not too far from where I'm, you know, I would like to stay and things like that. And kind of became, became, you know, fast friends. And then finally a couple, and I helped her kind of transition to New York. And, um, and then after she graduated from New York Film Academy, I was like, she's a fantastic, fantastic videographer. She was doing like documentary style um, commercials and films for, for businesses and hedge funds and things like that in New York. Um, and I was like, I'd love to partner with somebody who's a creative that understands uh, that side of the business, I'm not ve- like I'm very bad with colors. I'm very bad with, uh, you know, you know, I'm not horrible with aesthetics, but she's a whole lot better than I am. Uh, so I thought it would be a good good match. And you guys, you two have lived um, pretty much in all corners of the world at this point because mm-hmm. she's Australian. Uh, you met in Dubai. You lived in New York, and now you're in Sydney, right? Yeah, and there was San Diego for a couple of years. Oh, ago. that's right. There was San Diego as well. Yeah, that's pretty much every spot you could live around the same kind of, yeah. Um, what, so what is it, just briefly, um, what has it been like building businesses in partnership with the person that you spend 24 hours a day with? I mean, that, that yeah. takes a special kind of relationship, I'd say, and, and understanding. I think that Nicole and I were fortunate enough to have a professional relationship before a personal one. So I knew her as a professional in education. So I kind of saw her as a professional, as somebody that uh, is more than just somebody I'm interested in romantically, you know, as a partner in life. So that helps a lot because I see her as a professional before I see her as somebody that uh, I'm with in life. Um, I think it's very important to communicate as much as possible and define your roles very clearly and responsibilities. Um, you know, Nicole plays a big role in what we do in our businesses, especially in Webinar Ninja. And, um, and I think that, you know, it's always having these kind of, we, we, we sync up on a regular basis on, on a weekly basis on like, Hey, what are you doing? What am I doing? What are your responsibilities are? Um, can you take this off my plate? Can I take that off your plate? That kind of thing. So, you know, it's, of course, there's challenges. And of course, there are days where, you know, I'm sure both of us feel like, oh, I can just do this myself kind of thing. And then of course, you're like, of course, I can't, you know, this is so hard to do by yourself, you know. Um, But you realize that 
the the benefit of working together and I, I personally have a hard time kind of understanding how other people do it when like an entrepreneur and then their better half is like in a nine to five, like how do they understand their life mm. and their work and all that yeah. stuff? You know, Jessalyn, she's, she's an artist. So she kind of is she's, in that world. She understands she has to promote herself. thinking of things like that. So it's yeah. a little bit different. Yeah, it is um, being, having both people be self-employed um, definitely means you can relate to each other in certain ways uh, sometimes it also means that there are ups and downs. And if uh, you're both of your businesses are going great, it's awesome. If they're both not going great, it's not so not so awesome. Um, but I, I do have quite a few friends who are where one person is self-employed and the other is working in a regular career. A lot of times the person in the career will end up becoming self-employed eventually. It, it kind of seems like not that being self-employed or, or running your own business is like, you know, paradise because it's not necessarily. And I think we'll get into that a little bit. Um, but, you know, it is enticing for sure. And, and when you see the freedom and, and you just hear, um, regardless of how poorly your business might be going and how difficult it is, it still feels to me more gratifying, even in those trying times, than uh, when you realize when you have one of those moments, like you mentioned, where you work for 13 years and you give your life to this thing and you realize at the end of the day, like they don't care about you really. And you don't really have all that much control. So all that you invested in it is just gone one day, which is insane. Um, looking back, um, knowing your story, like from when you moved to New York and, and we're doing consulting and forward, the thing that stands out to me um, is that the hundred dollar MBA podcast really seemed to be the thing that I saw you get massive traction with first. Mm -hmm. um, is that yeah. accurate? Was there, or, or was there something in no, between? No, it's totally that? accurate. It's yeah. totally accurate. Yeah. And so the $100 MBA podcast for, for people who listen to podcasts um, to have produced a, uh, is it five days a week? Yeah. The show? Yeah. To, mm -hmm. to have produced a show five days a week for, four and a half years or something now, five years, mm -hmm. four and a half yeah. is, is a major accomplishment, but plenty of people could do that, I think, and not have the, the success that you've had because you've, you've done 90 or hundred million downloads of the show, which is really tremendous. Um, tell me about the genesis of that. What, what were you thinking mm -hmm. there? Why did you go daily? And, um, what was that like having that thing become so successful? We first met in person at NMX in 2014, January of 2014. I met a lot of the people that uh, I look up to till this day as as just entrepreneurs like yourself, uh, Nathan Barry, uh, a lot of the people that you know would be hard to even email these days. Uh, I, they were just people getting started at the time. That was the one in in New York City. It was the one in Vegas. In Vegas, okay, yeah, yeah, and um, and. I don't know what happened at that conference, but there was a couple of talks on podcasting and podcasting was getting popular. It's 2014. And I always knew about podcasting. I was listen, I listened to podcasts and I thought it was a great medium. Um, and then something happened in one of the sessions where somebody was like, um, you guys do video interviews. We did video interviews for our, our program, which was a course called the hundred dollar MBA That's uh, right. where we interviewed uh, you know, hosts and uh, I'm sorry, not hosts, but entrepreneurs and and, and speakers and authors. And, uh, you know, you were on the show. I think Chase as well back in the day was in the show. 
Uh, we got Gary Vaynerchuk on the show somehow. Um, and basically in the conference, we're like, oh, you already have everything. Just rip the audio from these videos and you have a podcast. And we're like, oh, that sounds brilliant. Amazing. So we decided to do that. We're going to launch a podcast. We're like, we're going to come up with a good name for the show. And we came up with the name, uh, People Who Know Their Shit. That was the name of the podcast. Unfortunately, though, the podcast was shit. <laughs> but, um, and why? Because, of course, you're producing something very half-ass, yeah. in a very half-ass way, you know? Um, and it, you're just really repurposing content that wasn't meant for audio. Um, we didn't realize that because we just plowed through and we just continued to do, and we started to do video interviews and pull the audio just for the podcast. We did about 46 episodes um, and realized this is not working. You know, 46 episodes is, is not insignificant. And at the same time, like, you know, we would look at the numbers and on a good day would get like 400 downloads an episode. And, and maybe that was kind of like, okay for for some people's metrics but like the the reason why we started a podcast in the first place is that i heard a talk from seth godin and, and he was talking about like people struggling in entrepreneurship and struggling to get traction in their business and he said one of the easiest ways um to succeed in business is to get famous and like and he was half joking but what he meant is that you have to have an audience like you have to have people that know who you are and you have to grow that audience and then once you have an audience then you can find out what they need and what they want and you can build something for them um and and that's kind of reason why we build a podcast so four hundred dollars is not going to make you famous so uh so nicole was still doing film work at the time and she had a big gig in new york and we're we were living in san diego and we we drove from san diego to new york on a road trip um, and we had some time on our hands and we were just like, give us a chance to kind of think things through and talk out loud. And we didn't, you know, just you in the open road. And we were asking ourselves, why did this podcast stink or why is it, why is it not working? You know? And after like a few horrible cheeseburgers and in, in Oklahoma city and <laughs> there's yeah, nothing in Oklahoma I've, city. I've done that drive. Yeah. <laughs> um, you realize I came to the conclusion or both came to the conclusion, you know, like, we're not really good at interviewing. You know, this is not our strength. Um, what is our strength? I was like, well, I'm very good at teaching. You know, that's, I've been doing that for 13 years. I have master's in education. I'm a better teacher than I would say all the podcasters on iTunes. Like I, I would listen to podcasts like this person doesn't know what they're doing at all. Like, you know, and, um, and Nicole was a big fan of languages and she used to listen to a podcast called uh, coffee break French. And yes. another version called coffee, coffee break, break Spanish. That was great. Yes. I love that. And it's like, it was his language lessons every day. And we were thinking, well, no one is do, doing that for business. No one's actually giving lessons. They're just kind of either having a discussion or an interview. And I would feel super comfortable in that environment because I know how to teach a lesson. I know how to kind of distill information uh, into small chunks and really give a lot of value in a short amount of time. So we kind of went back to our office and our lab and we decided to start the $100 MBA show, which is daily 10 minute business lessons uh, where I would do the teaching. Um, and every two weeks or so we would get like a guest teacher and that teacher would actually deliver a lesson. They would record a lesson. It wasn't an interview, um, which was strange in itself. But once the actual person did it, they're like, this is kind of cool. I'm actually happy to share this with my audience because mm. I haven't done that before. It's actual good value. Um, and the, we launched the show in August, 2014. Uh, and I just had my head down for the next four months recording this podcast, trying to make it as good as possible. I was just determined to make this show successful. I was like, this, it was almost like 
I have no other choice. I have to make this happen. Um, and it was funny because, you know, the shows, I knew the show was growing. I would look at my stats once in a while, you know, uh, we were like number one and new and noteworthy when it used to work back in iTunes, <laughs> um, uh, like for, for like five weeks straight and they're like, okay, we're doing well. And the download numbers were going up. And by the end of like the first two months or so, uh, we're doing like 10,000 downloads an episode. I was like, okay, there's something here. People yeah. are actually liking this show. Um, and we didn't take any, any sponsors or anything like that until we kind of hit around that number. Um, and, and this sponsor started approaching us. Um, but the moment that kind of was a light bulb, like I have a hit was in December of that year. Um, it was around right before Christmas, maybe the week before Christmas. And I wake up and I'm looking at my phone. My phone's got all these tweets going on. I'm like, why am I getting tweeted at? No one ever tweets at me. What's going on? And uh, I, I discovered that iTunes gave us the award of best of iTunes, uh, among with like 12 other podcasts for that year, like Serial and Startup and things like that. And I was just like, that's some good what company. What am I doing with these people? Like, yeah. I was, you know, I was just like, what? And like Alex Bloomberg is tweeting at me and saying, congrats. Like, what? I don't know, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that guy's big time, you know? And, um, and like, it, it was just a moment where it's like, okay, I think, I think this worked. You know, and from there, that gave us momentum and that that kind of propelled us and gave us even more traffic and more listeners and and it kind of snowballed from there. So, you know, clearly looking back, anybody hearing this story would say, well, that was a smart move, right? It, abandoning your old podcast, starting this new one, uh, changing up the format and so on in hindsight. But at the at the time when you're planning to make this transition after you've invested in 46 episodes, which I know is a lot of work doing those interviews, um, and not seeing much return, but, but you know, you had, as you said, like 400 downloads an episode or whatever. I think a lot of people might at that point, um, maybe decide to just hang on. And like, maybe if I just keep doing this, maybe when I get to a hundred episodes, it'll take off or something. Do you remember was there any hesitation on your part or you just had goals that were so much bigger than that, that you just decided, ah, oh, this, if we, if we start over, we can't do any worse than this. So we may as well jump in. It was a little bit of that, but it was also, I also want to see it as a big risk because we had to let go of, like we had to take no client work. We didn't make any money when we were building the show. Uh, and when I say building a show, like we recorded the first five episodes, like, a dozen times, you know, and before we launched, we had over 30 episodes recorded. Um, and you know, the artwork, the promotion, the website, all that kind of stuff that goes into it. Um, so it was a big risk to say we're investing all this time, making no money, not taking any client work to just make the show happen. Um, so that was, that was one of them. The other thing was that, yeah, it wasn't working. And I was just like, okay, it kind of fell fast. That's one of the lessons from Robert Kiyosaki is like, you know, this, this, this didn't work. Let's move on. Let's see what will work, you know? Um, and it just felt more congruent. Like, okay, this is who I am. I wasn't denying my past. I'm a teacher. This is, this is my strength. I should, you know, leverage my strength and not just, you know, worry about that. And, and, and I have to be honest with you. Like one of the things that I did that really was helpful was I actually got real and was honest with myself. And I looked at the iTunes top business podcast and I looked at the people on the top list. I looked at, you know, Tim Ferriss, who had a 
you know, he has five New York Times bestsellers or something like that. Like the guy does nothing but win, right? Um, you know, Jordan Harbinger, who started a podcast in 2010 before the iPhone came out, right? Uh, you know, Pat Flynn, everybody just adores Pat Flynn. You know, like, like, how am I going to compete with these people? Really, like, how am I going to compete with these people, right? If I don't differentiate, if I don't do something better than they can in some way. And to me, uh, delivering business lessons in a way that I know how in terms of teaching was, was kind of the way I was going to get a foot in the door. So I'm curious, um, do you have an end goal in mind for that show now that you're 1,300 episodes in? Uh, some people would look at your success with Webinar Ninja and maybe wonder, like, why, why do you continue to show up and produce this show day after day after day? And I'm sure it's its own business on, you know, mm -hmm. in a way, and, and, it, and it drives customers. Is it just that, or is there, is there something else behind it? Um, I want to answer this question as honestly as possible. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that um, it has a lot to do with the way I was raised. Like um, my parents are immigrants from, from Egypt. They came to Egypt, from Egypt to America. I was born in the States, but growing up in that environment, you know, you don't take anything for granted. You know, you, we, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. So everything was, we're very frugal and, you know, you don't waste anything. You don't throw away food, that kind of thing. Um, and, I have a successful show. It's so hard to have a successful podcast that will generate leads, that will generate customers, that makes money off ad dollars, you know, a significant amount of money that, you know, you shouldn't bat an eye on. And I enjoy it. And it gives me an outlet. It gives me a chance to just be creative and just be, a, you know, um, do something that I know I'm good at and, and, and feel comfortable with that. Um, and that's very... Uh, uh, comforting to do and, and to get a win. Like just, I can go there to get a win. I can go to the podcast to feel good about myself yeah. and just to get a win. Um, because running a SaaS company or a software company is filled with bumps and bruises and scrapes and falling on your face and realizing I'm not as good as I need to be, you know? So I'm, it's basically there to, you know, one, feel good about myself too, feel good about getting some wins in business. And also, of course, it helps people. It helps people just to know what to do with business, the next step to take an action item, just to do something today to move one step closer. Um, I enjoy just being able to help at that level and have that kind of conversation with my audience um, and, uh, and, and meeting those people in person at, at, at conferences and things like that. So that's the honest truth. You know, I wish I could say I'm a philanthropist and, but that's, that's really why yeah. <laughs> to make yourself feel good. Um, we all need places to go and do that. And whether it's a hobby or, or something, uh, because business can be real rough sometimes. Um, do you find yourself worried about the numbers and like the growth or, or whatever of the podcast and, and like getting upset with yourself and then, and then you do you say, well, wait a second, this is this is a different kind of entity. It doesn't have to do all of that stuff. Or mm. like, do you do you wrestle with that, or do you, are you able to just like let it be what it is and and have fun with it? Uh, no, because I don't believe in you could just coast. Yeah, you're either getting better or you're getting worse. Yeah, and and you and personally, I need a metric to see if I'm getting better or worse. Whether mm. it's download numbers, whether it's uh, comments or reviews, whether it's people sending me emails, I need to know that what I'm doing is actually helping or working. Yeah, and, and that's how the show got 
popular is that yeah. I actually helped people and I actually was able to give good value and it was concise and it, it you know and I just we and we played around with the format for a bit like for an for a year or so and we tried some new things and it didn't work and uh, and I realized that you know if something works you want to double and triple down on it and try to you know improve as much as possible. I think the the thing that I've really improved on is just my presence on the mic and my ability to be able to to communicate with my audience in a proper way in a way that you know that um, I feel comfortable with and feel like that that communicates the actual lessons that I'm trying to convey. So I, I think that's really helped just to have all those reps under me, all those episodes. So tell us about Webinar Ninja for people who aren't familiar with the software. Um, what does it do and how far does that stray from the original vision, I guess, of, of mm. when you set out to build it? And, and when did you start it exactly? I started Webinar Ninja in April 2014. Um, I actually gave you a call before I launched it and I asked you your advice. Like, you know, because it was clear to me, like, this is a different kind of path I'm going down. Um, I, I created Webinar Ninja because I was running webinars to sell my online programs and my coaching and things like that. And I just couldn't stand the software options out there. Like either I had a hodgepodge, you know, my webinar software with the landing page software with an email marketing software with, you know, putting something up and then getting the replay and then putting it up on the, it was just too much work, right? It was so much work that I actually wrote a book and a course called the DIY Webinar Guide. And I sold this thing. I actually put a sales page and I said, "Hey, you know, here are the the you know thirty thousand steps to creating a webinar." Um, and uh, I, I thought people would like that. Hey, you know, I'm going to save you some time and headache of googling this up, and I'm going to give you all the steps. Um, I got two sales from this product. Okay, and one of them was a char was a chargeback. <laughs> okay. So the other sale, right. So one of, I got two sales. One was a chargeback. The other one was a friend. It was John Lee Dumas. He was just uh -huh. interested in what I was doing. And he said, I'm going to check this out. Right. So what I learned in that process is that no one wants to do the work. They want a solution. They want something that is easy to use. While I was putting that together, that course, I was playing around with the idea of putting together a WordPress plugin. Um, and I knew my way, way around WordPress, you know, a bit of PHP and HTML and CSS, and it was as janky as anything, but I was running my webinars with something I slapped together. And the audience was like, hey, what are you using for this webinar? So it was just like, just something I put together, like, well, can we buy it? And I was just like, what? I never even thought about that. And I, so I was like, okay, you know, I'll get back to you. And basically, I put up a landing page promising people, hey, this is what I want to create. This is what I have. Uh, maybe you'd get in four to five months. Here are some mock-ups I made in, on 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 uh, Photoshop that I wouldn't share publicly again because they're so ugly. Um, and I said, "Hey, if you're interested, put a deposit of three hundred dollars, and you'd get lifetime access. I'll give you, you know, it'd be three hundred dollars, and you'd get lifetime access to it uh, as a beta group." Um, and it sold out in forty-eight hours. We opened it up for one hundred fifty users, and I don't have a huge list. And I literally just emailed people I know, but it was a sign to me that. This is a pain point that people are having. People don't like their webinar solution to the point that they're willing to put down money on the promise of something better, right? So to me, it was like clear idea validation. I had something there. We opened it up for another beta users, sold that out in 24 hours. And then we're like, we had 250 people. That was a good group to kind of like learn. We released it after four or five months. 
um, after you know, hiring a developer or a freelance developer to clean it up for commercial use, do like license keys for WordPress and all that kind of stuff. Um, of course, when we released it, it was full of bugs and issues that we never perceived and you know hiccups. But I was glad that we gave that lifetime membership because those people felt committed and they were giving us feedback and they kind of helped us you know get through those bumps and bruises. And um, and then we moved off WordPress and became a you know a, a cloud-based uh, platform um, in the next iteration. Uh, but th- those are kind of the the beginning stages of Webinar Ninja kind of happened by accident. The funny thing is that it started April, like this whole kind of started in April, 2014. The podcast started in August of 2014. A lot of people asked me if you knew the podcast was going to take off, would you start a Webinar Ninja? And I don't know, maybe not. I don't know. But the timing just worked out that way. Yeah. Um, So, okay. I think a lot of people listening to this may have heard the term webinar, but aren't intimately familiar with it. Um, for a lot of people, I think when they think webinar, they probably think of just the piece of the puzzle that hosts the video, like mm-hmm. Zoom or uh, GoToWebinar or Google Hangouts. There have been a, a number of them over the years. Zoom is kind of the default one now, I think, that most people use. But uh, you know, just a couple of years ago, we were all using GoToWebinar and, and other things. Um, but to host a webinar you have some, you know, as an entrepreneur, there's some purpose behind it. You're not just throwing up some video and hoping that people show up. This is part of a a more sophisticated funnel, trying to pull people from being casual, um, you know, casually connected with you to getting to intimately know you over the course of a half hour, an hour, and then potentially buying something or taking another step with you. And I think the frustration for you in, in that process was that there were a lot of pieces involved, right? Because you have email software involved, you have landing pages involved, you have all the reminders that have to go out, um, you have the recordings that need to go out to people later, all that kind of stuff. And Chat, so, all that, yeah, yeah. So, so we're, your software doesn't focus on the video piece; it focuses on all the other stuff that happens around that piece. Is that right? It actually focuses on all on everything as well. And now as the you do piece. the video as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. When, when we first the- started, we were we were relying on Google Hangouts. So the yes. video piece was controlled by Google Hangouts. Um, but we quickly moved off them uh, after we realized how much of a delay Google Hangouts had. It was like 30 seconds delay between what you would say and what your audience would hear, uh, which is not very interactive from a teaching point of view. Um, it was interesting because we got lucky because we just made the decision to move off Hangouts and and, and broadcast our own video. And then a year later, Google Hangouts tanked and they just, they cut it from everybody and other software, webinar software were scrambling and we we're like, oh, wow, we just did this by accident. <laughs> Glad that we did it, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I think the reason why most of our users, and this is just based on user feedback, you know, surveys, calls we have with our customers, um, reviews on Captera, the number one thing people say about Webinar Ninja is that it's easy to use. In fact, they say it's the easiest software they've ever used. Um, and we just want to remove all the complexity of putting together a webinar, like you said, all the moving parts from you know, marketing it with your registration page and landing page and with these templates, as well as you know, the thank you page and add to calendar features and email notifications and reminders and follow-up sequences and the statistics and all that kind of stuff that happened in the background, your replay being produced and then sent out to your, your uh, actual attendees or registrants. So all that kind of stuff, we wanted to make it easy kind of dissolve in the background so you could just focus on your content. 
Because yeah. we believe that if you could just focus on your content that, and let all the tech kind of take care of itself, uh, you can be as successful as possible. We knew from the beginning that if we can get people to have successful webinars, to run a webinar, one or two or three, and get some wins, they will be hooked and they'll, they'll continue to do that. Um, and that's the challenge that we still have till today because we have to do a lot of work when it comes to onboarding to make sure uh, people actually do that part because it's not easy to get in front of a camera or even talk over slides um, for the first time. The onboarding you're saying focuses on helping people deliver great content um, because the software focuses on all the other stuff. You have all the exactly. best practices built in. And if someone went out and just tried to glue all the pieces together to do their own webinar, um, they wouldn't understand the best practices, like the timing of the emails that need to go out, the, the content that needs to be in the emails, how you remind people, how you get mm -hmm. people to show up. Um, and for a lot of people, I, I think it's kind of surprising to learn that how hard it can be to get people to sh actually show up for a webinar. And then once they're on the call to actually get them to convert and so on. So there's a lot of little nuances along the way. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, one of the things that, um, a lot of our users that when they first sign in uh, or sign up for Webinar Ninja, they say that like some small things that we, we kind of just thought that's normal, like we should do this, uh, that they really find valuable is like we have default copy in the email notifications, like reminding them, you know, it's tomorrow, it's coming, you know, in an hour, uh, telling them things like, you know, hey, say hello in the chat, like they literally can just roll with the copy that we already gave them. Um, we have like little features where like we have a little short tag. So it populates the information like the webinar title and name and, and date and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so they can like they can clone this webinar or they can save it as default, this email copy. So they don't have to reinvent the wheel every single time to save them time and all that kind of stuff. So uh, in the preparation for this call, we were talking about things we could discuss. And, and one of the things that you felt strongly about was this idea that business can be incredibly hard as you grow. You said, I actually believe that it gets harder, not easier as you progress in your business. It's the easiest it will ever be when you get started. So what does that mean and, and, and why are you so convinced of this? What, what hard lessons have you learned and what depths have you had to go to as your business grows that, that makes you feel this way? I think the hardest thing about growing a business is that you can't continue to be the same person as you grow. If you want to get somewhere, like I'm going to give you like, uh, it's a very general example or maybe a very grand example, but say for example, you want to be as successful as an entrepreneur uh, as Elon Musk, right? Elon Musk, amazing person, right? As, an, as a business person, right? Do you think you can just continue to be who you are and just get the same success? No, you're gonna have to change who you are, what you do every day. You have to change your priorities. You have to change what you know. You have to change how you, you know, perform every day at work as a leader, as a, as a coach to your team, um, as a hiring manager, as what, all that kind of stuff. You know, how did he build such a great company? He became something different, right? And that's, one of the greatest benefits I believe in reading biographies, like when you, I love to read biographies or listen to biographies on Audible, just because you learn what it takes, what you have to become in order to get to somewhere you want to go. Um, you know, recently, um, uh, Phil Knight, you know, released his uh, his memoir, uh, Shoe Dog, which is a very popular book. It's got like five stars and like a billion reviews on Amazon, and it's an amazing book. I've read it multiple times, but the takeaway from that book is that. 
you know, he's changed and grown and progressed as a person. And when you're just getting started as an entrepreneur, when you're a solopreneur, when you're putting up um, some courses you put up, uh, you put together, which is great, and you're making a buck or two, and you know, you're making a living, that's fantastic. And I think that's great. Um, but you're still working in your comfort zone, right? You're not being stretched in any way. You don't have to actually analyze yourself and say, do I need to do something different? You're just kind of controlling everything. You're doing everything yourself. You don't have to rely on anybody else. You don't have to do anything. You know, you might have a VA or something like that. Once you start saying, well, you know what? I want to create, you know, an institute. I want to create multiple. I want to have other, you know, teachers involved. I want to, you know, grow the fizzle for cooking. You know, um, I can't do this alone. I need to do other, I need to bring in other people. It gets more complicated. Because you're dealing with other human beings, with other personalities. You know, how do you know this person is going to be a great teacher? How do you know they're a good hire? What are you going to do when they break your cultural rules in your business? You know, like this is not something that is taught in a book. You know, like you, you, you just have to kind of experience it. I mean, there are some books that talk about business culture, but you, you, it's hard to be prepared. And what, what, it, what I learned, you know, and just in my experience of growing Webinar Ninja in the last five years is... I have to become something different or the business is going to fail. Like I could, or it's just going to just tank. The thing is, is that like, I could just been like, you know what? I got this. I'm gonna do this on my own. I'll just freelance it with a couple of developers and whatever. And you know, the reality is I have competition and my competition is not doing that. My competition is hiring the best in the town, most talented people. They're, they got great managers. They're, they're motivated. They're highly compensated. They're really, uh, they understand the vision of the company. They're working hard on that goal of that whatever company that is, whether it's GoTo or Zoom or whatever it is. Um, and they're incentivized. And if I think I'm going to compete with them, I'm dreaming. You know, like I, you have to be real with yourself. So what I realized is that, okay, what are the steps to get there? What are the steps for me to, you know, I'm not saying I want to IPO and become a billion dollar company like Zoom. Maybe one day I want to do that with, with Webinar Ninja or another company. But the point is, is that, you know, in order for me to progress as a company, as I have to see it more than just myself, more than just what I want in my life and what fits my lifestyle and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's just the reality. And that's just the market I'm in. Um, and it's a very painful process, I personally think, where you have to change. You have to change what you do every day. You have to change what's important to your life. You have to change, you know, how many times you go on vacation and all that kind of stuff. And um, I know that sounds like first world problems, um, but a lot of us build businesses because this is what we want. You know, this is what we sacrifice all this stuff so we can have that lifestyle business. Uh, I got to that point and I realized, no, I want more. I want more out of my success in business. And, uh, you know, having, you know, a few vacations a year is great and everything, but I, I feel like I'm cutting myself short in my potential. I think I should, I, I can do better. You said uh, as well that there were lots of lessons learned along the way, particularly about being clear about what I really want out of this whole business thing. And if what I want is even real, what, yeah. what did you want that you, that you found out at the end of the day maybe wasn't real? Or, or did you have a vision? I don't, I don't really believe in this idea of passive income. I don't believe in this idea that you can just set it and forget it like it's a rotisserie chicken thing, right? You know, you, you have to you have to be on top of your business. You know, you have to. Is that the road? You, is that the road that you started going down? You it, it, yeah, originally I thought that, sort of. 
Yeah, I thought like, hey, I'm gonna have a podcast and I'll sell some courses and I'll have a great lifestyle business and I'll make you know 20, 30k a month and I'll feel great and I'll go on vacation half the year and it'll be wonderful. Um, and what I realized is that that's a hamster wheel. Like you have to continue to keep producing content and you have to continue to build courses. You can't sell the same course year after year. You have to build new courses and you have to build new content and you have to get on stages and you have to network and you have to partner and you got to get into affiliate marketing. And it's just this idea that, you know, uh, I believe it was, you know, uh, Chase who would say on the show a lot, like everything becomes a job eventually, mm -hmm. you know, and and you just build this job for yourself where you're you're working even harder than you did in your day job, you know? And I realized that like, this is not, this idea of like semi-retirement is not really real, uh, especially in the content game. If you're, if you're selling information, if you're selling courses, um, if you're drop selling something on Amazon or I don't, I don't even know what the logistics of that would be in, in the dynamics of that business. But I realized, you know, yeah, maybe I have more time, but I'm working when I'm traveling, you know, I'm, I'm answering emails while I'm in Costa Rica. Like I want to go on vacation and not answer emails, you know, like I want to, you know, one of the most comforting things I do is when I go on holiday, sometimes I go with, uh, you know, Nicole and I would go with her brother, Francis, and he, he has a day job. He works at EY and he's a consultant. And when he's on vacation, he's on vacation. Like he doesn't yeah. check his email. He doesn't do anything. And you look like an idiot. Look, pulling out your phone while you're having, you know, an aperitif in, in Rome. You know, yeah. like so it reminds you that you need to have some sort of uh, understanding. But what do you really want? And I really, what I really wanted is like I, I want financial independence. I want to be able to not be worried about money and know that I can pay my rent and pay my expenses and have some savings for the future and whatever and have some some level of wealth that I have some comfort. I want to be able to have a few breaks where I really have a break where I just shut off completely. Even if it's at just like four weeks in the year, two weeks here, two weeks there, that's good enough for me. I'm happy if I completely shut off, right? And I want to have something, I want to build something that I feel proud of. I want to feel something that I am that's significant in the world, that I feel like I'm contributing in some way. I want to be around people that are smarter than me, that are making me better in terms of the team I've built. And those are really the things I want, right? And the business I had was not allowing me to do that. I realized, okay, I need to realize what's the next step. This is great what I've done. And it's a great launching pad. And it's got me a certain amount of money where I can use and leverage that, that funds to self-fund my business. But um, I realized I don't, I, I don't want to be on a hammock six months a year. I just want to shut off for two weeks at a time and have a, have and enjoy my regular life and my regular business and, and that's really what I want. So, and, and sometimes you may have to spend time on the hammock to realize that, okay, I really just need like a few days of that. I don't need that. It's not like, very comfortable. <laughs> I don't need that every, yeah, every day. Um, looking back, you've, you've been through so many different kinds of businesses. You've had ups and downs. Obviously, there's a lot more to come in the future for you. But with the, with the experience and wisdom that you have now, if you had to give some advice to yourself, say 15 years ago, um, or if you had to give someone some advice now who's just starting out, what could you tell them to help them help save them from making a couple of missteps that might stop them in their tracks or just cause a lot of pain and delay? I think uh, one of the things I didn't understand when I first got started is how long it takes to get any modicum of success. Like I, I just thought, like six months, I'm good. I'm going to be rolling, you know. And it takes a 
lot longer than that, especially now with the internet being so crowded and with all the different platforms everybody's on, all that kind of stuff. You know, um, a lot of people ask me, like, how do you start a podcast and what do you recommend? And you know, I started it five years ago. Like, I, I, I wouldn't want to start a podcast now. <laughs> you know, like, I, you need to ask somebody who has started it six months ago, you know. But for me, I think it's just this long-term view. You have to have a long-term. You got to allow yourself time to earn and learn the skills of entrepreneurship. You know, I, I always give this metaphor. It's like, you know, if, if I wanted to become a doctor, I, I would have to, you know, go to university. I would have to go to med school. I would then do my residency. So I don't even operate or practice as a doctor until a decade later, right? And yet I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to be, you know, on the, the Forbes top 500 list or something like that in a year. Like, that's just not realistic. Like, yeah. you don't have the skills yet. Yeah. You know, like you have to, learn you have to learn on the job you have to read you have to take some courses you have to meet some people you have to have some mentors you have to have some friends around you um and that would be my next piece of advice is that you have to be very mindful about who you spend the most time around you know and and you you got to be the most in, you have to be as intentional as possible if, if you're building a business on the side and while you're working every moment you're away from work uh, is going to help you uh, cultivate yourself as the, the future entrepreneur you want to be. So, you know, try to go as, as many meetups as you can, local meetups, uh, online kind of uh, conferences or summits, uh, listen to podcasts like Fizzle. And, and, and I, like I started in the beginning of the show, you know, the official gave me something to work with. It gave me some motivation. It gave me like, hey, these guys are like, they're an inspiration to me because this is where I want to be in a couple of years, you know? So be connected to that because like, my story where I, did, I, I didn't understand business until I saw an example through a book or through an uncle or whatever, you got to see some examples in front of you. You got to be around people that are a few steps ahead of you so you can feel um, you know, what it looks like to get to that point. Omar, thank you so much for being on the show today. This is a long overdue conversation. Uh, regardless of if you were recording an episode, I would have enjoyed this hour immensely. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Corbett. I also just want to send a quick message to the listeners. Um, I can't express how fortunate everybody is to have The Fizzle Show. The Fizzle Show is such a great podcast. Corbett, you're a wealth of knowledge. But more importantly, you're, you're generous, you're kind. You're somebody that I really look up to because of the content of your character. Like I, When I was becoming an entrepreneur and doing this full-time thing, like you were so supportive and so nice to me. And that's not common, you know, like people are busy and not, not that people are mean, people are busy, but you made time for somebody who is still struggling and somebody who's still kind of, you know, trying to make it happen. And uh, I, I appreciate that till this day. And everybody gets that for free on the physical show every week. So, uh, so uh, I, I'm grateful and I hope everybody listening is grateful as well. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. Um, you guys can find more from Omar over at webinarninja.com or you can find his podcast, the $100 MBA show podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find the full show notes and links for this episode over at fizzleshow.co. This was episode number 363. As always, thank you for being here. I'm Corbett Barr. And until next time, thanks for listening to The Fizzle Show. Fizzle Show.